0: Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. Amen. Let's go on with the book of James. Um, I was so encouraged this morning in our prayer meeting. Somebody said, you know what? I read the book of James, five chapters, every night at the moment, and he says I'm getting so much out of it, and so I want to encourage you as well, even if you don't go every night, all five chapters, it's not a big book, it's not a long book, but this book instructs us how to live, Uh, and I'm sure the last couple of weeks you have received a couple of good lessons from it already, uh, dealing with with the the trials and the testings that we're going through, and now some of the temptations uh, we're going to look at today as well. So let's go to the book of James, and we're going to highlight verses 13 to 18 there, and then I will share some thoughts with you. In the beginning, a little bit technical, and then we will flow with it, we will flow with it, so stick with me. In Romans, uh, in James chapter 1, verse 13 to 18, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. It says in the Bible, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created." All right, so we're going to come a little bit to some of those thoughts, but let me start by asking you a question. If you're really going through a difficult time, and you've got to listen to last week's sermon to get this illustration, because I'm not going to redo the illustration, but about the Lamborghini and the engine that gets red hot and so on. Um, but if you, if your engine is red hot with all the tests that you're going through, and, and you feel like man, life is tough, and it's really I'm I'm burning, I'm burning up here. I I'm battling, I'm I'm ready to explode almost, uh, and. And I and, will and walk up to you and say, what would you like me to pray for? What are you going to say? I know what you will say. Ask God to take this test away. I need some relief here. I need this grip of this trial or this test to be removed. Because that is foremost in your mind. Now, now when I, when I read this, this couple of verses that I have and, and, and the things that we have said about, about testing, is that if we, is it wise to ask God to remove the test if the test per, uh, brings about perseverance in my life and perseverance character. Is it then wise to come and say, ask God to move this test away? It's probably not wise because that means I will be part of you not growing and you part of me not growing in my walk with God. But you know, because it is, it is, we have a perception that test trials are life-threatening Trials are not necessary, and they are possibly evil. Now I said to you last week, and I want to say it again, that, that, that trials and testing is that something that God uses, and I'm going to say it a few times today because we've got to get it. Uh, so, so when we look at these verses, uh, you know, and, and, and we want these trials to be moved and the tests to be moved, we're messing with our maturity, our growth. And we've got to maybe just say, Lord, I'm not asking to remove it. I'm asking you to help me to get through it. That's my prayer. And that should be your prayer as well. You see, the Bible tells us, and over and over, that a trial, a test, is not the most serious, life-threatening experience that I can go through. The greatest danger, my friend, is not what has been done to me, the greatest danger, the most life-threatening thing in my life is what I do to others. That is more life-threatening. You see, the real threat is not when, it, when wrong is done to me because I've got to learn how to deal with it and cope with it and grow through it. The real test is the temptation comes is do I fall into sin and in how I respond to that. And how I deal with others. That's the, that's the challenge here. You see, the concept of temptation is a, is a big one. It's a broad one. We're not gonna address the whole one today. We can't address all the issues today. Temptation is, is, a, is a big one. But when I speak about temptation, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Don't shout it out. Think about it. I'll tell you what I think it is. Oh, he's talking about sexual temptation. That's the first thing that comes to our mind is our our sexual temptations and and sins as well. And and, and today we're not hammering that so much, although we did speak about it in the past. And it's true, my dear friend, and I'll say it again. And, And sometimes our sermons here in the church will really upset the sin inside of us. And if not, then we're not preaching the truth because the Bible often, God often addresses sin in our lives. Now, now when it comes back to the sexual sin, is that the Bible is very clear that if I, if I do it, if I live outside of a marriage relationship or even inside of a marriage relationship and I commit, commit sin because uh, uh, sex is saved for a marriage, a committed marriage relationship, then the Bible is very clear that if I give in to those sexual t- temptations and sin that I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Full stop, no more explanation for today because we've gone over it. But I'm not necessarily addressing those temptations only because there's a host of other temptations and I don't know if you've maybe realized that they are there and that they have come your way over the last uh, uh, um, years of your life. There's a lot of other tests outside of sexual temptation and sin. Let's go and read a couple of verses and and I want to give you some Greek words here and explain them a little bit and, and hopefully I will make some sense out of them as well as this go to verse 2 and 3 Um, when it it comes to that chapter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Can you see the word trial there? I just underline it because I want to tell you that that word and another word and another word has got the same root, and I'm coming to that. All right, so then in verse 12, it uses the word trial again. Blessed are the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the lord has promised to those who love him all right now we go on and a verse later it starts speaking about another issue here in our lives but the word temptation is used now it says when tempted no one should say god has tempted me so i want you to understand that those three words trial trial and temptation comes from the same greek root in in the in the greek language from the same root And here they are. Let's put them on the board there. Perasmos means trial or testing. And that's the first two that I mentioned. And then the next one is peratso, which means to be tempted. Now, if you look at those two words, you will even with just looking at the first bit in Greek here, you will realize that pera is the root word. And pera, the word translated from the Greek means to be tested. It is a test. Now you know in English as well how words can change when you have a prefix or a suffix. Uh, The word come changes when you say be. Become is different if you just add a prefix. The word changes more if you add a suffix to it. Becoming is another word as come or become. Alright, so it could mean different. So, so that's the English, so in Greek it's exactly the same. You have a root word, and the root word changes when you have a prefix or a suffix, and this is what is happening here. The same word which, which comes from a root word, "peira," uh, which means to be tested. So it's crucial to distinguish between them, but it's also very important to see that there's a close connection between trial, testing, and Temptation. There's a close connection here. And that's why the same root word is used. So perasmos in the Greek, which is a trial or a testing, the root word trial, but to be tested, as I said last week, has got a positive connotation. It is something that, that, that produces or wants to produce a positive outcome in your life. Testing. God allows this for a purpose. Pera is the, the Greek word, the, the, the root word. The suffix, uh, or, the, or the, yeah, the suffix changes that word to say what God intends for you is to go through a trial and this trial is the testing of your faith. It is another trial. It produces character. If we fail here, we lack growth in our character. And God says, you know what, guys, girls, My dearly beloved, I'm gonna put you through these kind of trials, these tests, because I want your faith to be stronger and stronger, and I want want some stuff to be produced here that's gonna make me proud of you. Don't you do that when you train physically? The body goes through some pain to get somewhere. I mean, this body is just doesn't, didn't get there for, for no reason. I mean, look at me, you know. And there's lots of pain and testing, you know, and so on, you know. So uh, anyway, so, so the next word here that is now in the first two words is perazzo. Uh, uh, Perazmos is used. Now he uses the word perazzo, same root word. But this has got a negative connotation. Tempted. Temptation. The word here, it's a, it's a negative because the actual, the aim is to produce a negative outcome in your life. The first one is allowed by God and something done, sometimes done by God. The next one, being tempted, is the, the root is not God. God is not the author of this. It, it, it is sometimes allowed, but, but you know what? To be tempted is, is there to produce a negative. It is to make you fall. It is to make you stumble. It is not positive. It is to put an obstacle in front of somebody, and you know that when they jump this obstacle, the potential that they will fall is big. And you sit there and say, I can't wait for them to fall. That's the word perazzo, to be tempted. So trials, these trials, which are translated in our Bible as temptations, different from being tested. So both are a trial therefore, my friend. And you will know therefore that the, the difficulties that we go through that produces the character, that produces us to uh, a trust in us and the testing of my faith and, and finances or whatever it is, that produces my character. What happens when the temptation comes, it tests the character. And it says, I'm, I, I would love you to fall. And you know what it feels like when we do fall. You also know what the feeling is when we don't. So it's a malicious test. Satan is behind it. He's crafty. He demonstrates our, uh, our failure. He highlights our failure. The purpose of this temptation is to lead us into sin and then into death. And I'll explain to you that downward spiral in a moment. So verse 14 to 15. It says, but each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death I want you to see and I'm coming back to a, a couple of ideas here on this scripture is there is a downward spiral here my friend each one of us are dragged away we are enticed by our own evil desires then sin starts growing on me it's like a, a, it, it, it's like it's, it's becoming quite a thought you know no I, I entertain it and so on and when sin is given birth to and then it grows in me and when it starts growing in me it leads to eternal death believer do you think you can fall away it says my can because it leads to death they're speaking to believers here who continue persisting sin you see temptation is a test and it often comes in a difficult time in our life anyway but not always Because the temptation sometimes is when things go well, there's a temptation. But temptation and trials or testing sometimes are connected as well. And they sort of run hand in hand. Because Satan knows when the temptation, when the testing is big, the temptation is probably very easy to give into as well. So it could be a moral temptation that you may be thinking about. It could be a temptation of character, like gossip and stealing or lying, just small lies, white lies, and those kind of things. Dodging the tax man, all those temptations that can come to us, especially these days we are filling in our tax forms. Uh, So so attest the strength of my character with intention to make you fall. Temptation as I said a few times, and let me say it again, is not a trial in your life where there's a hope for a positive outcome. It is a trial in your life where there's a hope for a moral failure. Or not just sexually, but in every area, any area of your life, a moral failure. And that's, we know who is behind this as well. So he brings the temptations, desiring to prove a believer a moral failure, or to make you collapse. So the origin and the purpose of testing and temptation is different, but both are a trial. That's what the Greek is telling you. So let me tell you something about sin. You know what? Sin starts with a desire. This is a fishing rod. It's a real one. It works. I bought a few. Not all, of, not all my grandsons have got one yet, but I, my intention to Teach them the good things in life and one is fishing. Uh, Very good thing. Okay, so so let me talk to you something about how temptation starts. It starts with a desire, a desire that happens in our lives. Okay, and this is what happens. You know what this is? These are three chocolates. How many of you do not like chocolate? You don't like chocolate? Okay, if you don't like chocolate, there's something seriously wrong with you you uh, you may not even go to heaven I don't know you know I don't know but anyway so a a uh, son starts with a desire you know finish my sermon with that hanging right in front of you is that fair it's not fair but I don't want to be fair because temptation is not about being fair okay so Just leave that for a little while there. How many of you are thinking what you're gonna do straight after the service? I'm gonna buy a chocolate. I'm gonna go to the spa. You see, I'm I'm already tempting you. And some of you are already drooling. So what are you gonna do about that temptation, my friend? And I'm gonna help you a little bit, hopefully, through my sermon here as well. You see, being tempted is not the sin. That's the bait. Taking the bait is the problem. That's where the sin is going to come in. You see? That's where the problem is going to come for you. And, and that's what Satan does. He starts and, and it looks so innocent, but you this can do danger. This can do damage. This dangerous thing hanging in front of you. And, and he wants you, he wants you to give in to that temptation. He wants you to. He wants you to fail. You know, some of you are on diet. And Vrahti, you're going to buy a chocolate after this. You are. And I'm not telling you must, but I know how that works, okay? Because temptation is not even... You see, let me tell you something about wrongdoing. Every wrongdoing starts with a desire. A desire that starts in me and I start feeding that desire and I start thinking about desire and that desire starts growing and that is exactly what James says to us. It starts with a desire and then there's a possibility of a downward spiral there if I feed that desire because that desire gives birth to sin and then sin when it's grown up gives, gives eventually results in death, spiritual death, hell, damnation the Bible speaks about. You see, now, now something about giving into a desire is is it, that's what, the word of God is so simple to me. That's that's why I enjoy being a Christian. Is that you don't have to be too intellectual to get it. Is that the thing about this this desire is when I give into it, I have nobody else to blame, except the one that looks in the mirror. I cannot blame anybody else for giving in to a sinful desire. Let me take you back to the first couple of chapters in the Bible. Here's Eve. Satan comes to Eve and tempts her and say, you, you know, come on now. You know, and I'm not going to go the full story today. Come on now. Come on now. I don't think, I don't think he just came to her and it was like, you know, what? just eat it. I think he said to yeah, her, I think this is, and he, and he messed with her, he messed with her, because he says, do you really believe that that is, it was like a conversation going on here, you know, do you really believe that you, and she starts thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this looks so nice, and she gave in, ate the fruit, and then she goes to her husband, and she said, Adam, this is good, this is the best. This is the best fruit. I don't know why God doesn't allow us to eat it. It is the best. And you know what? Adam, the Bible says, gave into it. And then you know what? The next step of he blames his wife. He blames his wife. Isn't that what we all do when we fail morally or whatever? It's your fault. It's not my fault. The spotlight now is on me, but I want to turn that spotlight to say, I did not really. Anything. And he goes to God who knows everything. And he says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 12, he says this to the Lord. The woman you put here with me, that one you gave me is my wife. You took her from my side. You did I was asleep when you did this. I was just lonely, but I didn't ask for this trouble. You know, you gave me this woman and, and, and she gave me the fruit. So let's deal with the problem here, God. It is the woman. Oh, uh, you know, God didn't give in to that one. I want to just show you how, what God actually did. I don't, he didn't take Adam by, sort of put his arm around him. and says, my boy, let's go for a walk in the garden. Leave her a little bit here. She's cooking. No, those days she didn't cook. Hey? So she's, she's busy in the kitchen. No, she didn't even have a kitchen. She's just tilling there. Let me take her for a walk. Let me take you for a walk. Let me take you for a walk. Let's talk about this. I know, I know you have a problem, Adam. I know that it is the woman that enticed you, my boy. I, maybe I shouldn't have made her. He didn't do that. You know, he goes, he, he goes straight back to, to Adam and puts the blame right in front of him. Both Adam and Eve, God blamed them. Don't blame the devil. You took the bait. Don't blame your your do your, your wife. You took the bait. That's what he says. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, 17, let's go there. It says, because you listened to your wife. Don't use this verse now not to listen to your wife. That's not what I'm saying. All right, because some of the guys says, well, the Bible says it, don't listen to your wife. No, because you listened to your wife when it came to getting enticed, getting into sin. It says here, you and and ate from the tree about uh, which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. And here God curses Eve, Adam, as a result of Satan tempting, Eve falling first, Adam falling next, and God says, both of you are responsible. Both of you are accountable. Don't blame one another because that's my natural reaction when I fall into sin. I'm coming to this issue of how do I deal with temptation in a moment as well because these are the temptations. You see, I cannot say to God, well, God, you know, when uh, somebody was really angry, I, got, I really got angry because they sent me this SMS and that's why I blew it. No, no, God says, no, no, no. Your reaction is your responsibility. You got a temptation and you fell for it. You fell for it. You know, you can't say, well, God, I stole the money because he left his wallet there. It's, it's his stupidity. So I was like, oh, Lord, it's my wife that bought the ice cream and put it in the deep freeze, And when I open it, it just, it was in my face. It was, actually, there was a message on it, eat me and eat me all.' <laughs> all right? And God says, wait, wait a minute, that's your response, your reaction to a temptation, you are wrong. You're wrong. When We sin. We can only blame ourselves. When we fall fall for temptations, we can only blame ourselves. You know, murderous thoughts start with thoughts first. Or murder starts with thoughts first. And then it goes into action. And it's a bit easier. To resist the temptation when it starts with a, a desire—that's you know—it doesn't just come on you. It comes step by step, little by little. You see, and and, and sin is premeditated. Every sin is premeditated. I don't think there is something like a pre—a a, a murder that was not premeditated. You think about it. You give in to it. And how, how James says says to us, so here's the bait it's cost, you are enticed by it, and in fact, if I walk around with it like this, not only the first few people are really going to like what they see, but somebody, if I just spin it a little bit, some more people are going to drool, somebody wants to take this bait, some more people are going to go to the shop, here. and that's what Satan, entices you, that this is, this, ah man, it's just a chocolate, you know, and, and you give in to it and, and so on. And, and that's why he says you are enticed, but listen to what he says. And you give in by your own evil desires. Don't blame. By your own evil desires. You know, the idea, and that's why I like the scripture. The scripture is so practical. God uses very practical Jesus practical things to teach spiritual things. And to the word bait and enticed and, and to it, it it's basically what you do when you're fishing is you cast a lure, you cast a bait, and you bring bring it and you play a little bit with it, and you jig it a little bit, and the fish is it and is enticed and kaboom, it claps it, and then it's on. Then it's on. And, and then it's difficult to get off because the hook is sharp and it's in your mouth and the line is tight. And it's very difficult to get off. That's how Satan does it when he brings temptation to us. You see, the word fully, uh, plays fully the responsibility of, of sin on every individual themselves. And then the scary thing is I've said, the last bit of this downward spiral is when I allow sin to grow, It will allow my spiritual death. It will allow my spiritual death. All right? We are reminded in the scriptures that we have died to sin. Sin no longer lives in me. And you say, well, Roloff, if that is true, why do I have such a passion for this stuff? Why do I battle with that? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 4 says, By no means. We are, are those who have died to sin. We cannot live. I, th- I think that is, that is also what God is saying. That is what you've got to keep on reminding yourself when it comes to sin. I have died to this stuff. I, I, I don't live for this any longer. I'm dead to this. And that's, it's a phrase you can, you can quote when sinless is, 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 No, 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 I'm dead to this stuff. I'm dead to this stuff. You know, this is, and and, and less and less, you will actually fall for it then as well. Now, it's true, but there's still such a struggle in me to fall into sin. And here it is in Ephesians chapter four, verse 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You see, some people say, well, you give your life to Jesus, no more sin. No, no, no. It says here, present tense and future tense, which is being corrupted ongoingly by its deceitful design. You know, if we had to write that in today's language, it will say that every one of us have got a virus. Every one of us has got a virus. And your virus constantly needs antibiotics. Your virus constantly, if you see symptoms, then you, then you go back to the doctor. You go back to what helps those, that virus to be suppressed. But at this side of the grave, I am sorry to say to you, the virus is not yet deleted or removed. It only happens the moment you and I die. And God says, okay, now the night is over. The day has come. Because listen to what it says. No temptation. You think, oh, I've never got a chance. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So you, so you say, no, Lord, you, know, you just, you overcooked it. You, I, I couldn't, no, 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 no. I will not allow you to be tempted. So there's always a no that can fix it always a resistance that can fix it there is victory there is victory it's possible in 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 romans in james chapter 4 verse 7 it tells us and and i start getting to the end of my sermon how to deal with stuff is submit yourself to god resist the devil and he will flee from you but you know what i I don't really like the resist part when it looks so good you know what Let, let me tell you something about this this temptation is that my wife and I have a very different approach when it comes to eating chocolate. Very, very different approach. Mine is more manly and it is more femalely or whatever it is. I don't know, you know, but now she buys a chocolate and um, this is what happens in my house. She buys a chocolate and thinks that she can hide it from me. Big mistake, you see, big mistake because you know, you know what I work on constantly is to unclutter my home so that when she hides them, I can find them. You see, so, so it's, it's a wise thing to do. But now you have, she, she puts a chocolate in a cupboard somewhere and prays, Lord may Ruloff not see it. And, and my, my philosophy is if it's there, eat it. Kill it, destroy it, destroy it. Okay, some of you, I, I love it, us, us boys, that's how we do it. So, so my wife goes and she does this kind of thing. Now, now this is how temptation works. Okay? She she opens it, she looks at it, she examines it, and she goes, you know, and oh man! And then she puts it away, and then Rulof comes, you know. But but you know what? The thing about temptation is this, my dear friend. Once you've tasted it, I'm I'm on a diet. I'm going to be strict diet. I'm not allowed to have. I'm not allowed to have sugar until lunchtime or milk. So uh, I am losing weight, but not today. But but this is how it works. You see. A desire, once you start giving into it, man, it is so good. Oh, this is really so good. Then it's over. It's done. It is really done. I know some of you are not looking because your mouth is you're watering. Your mouth is all watering at the moment. But that's how it works. You see, when I took that first little bite, I was much more in control to say no. But my illustration has got to work. So I've got one more service tonight where I'll eat another chocolate. <laughs> you know, and, and that's how it works. And eventually, you know, you're starting to feel guilty now because this is now a slab. And a slab in my house must be big and it must be eaten now. And then I help Carol. I help Carol to eat hers as well. But now I'm starting to feel guilty about this. Is there anybody who'd like this last bite? Huh? I've just given you... A Jesus illustration of how the spiral thing works. You know, when I took that first little bite, didn't really spark much, although it did tell me, hmm, take another one. And I did. And I'm, and I'm thankful that I did. No, no, I'm not thankful, because now I know what Carol's gonna say. She was here in the first one. She knows that I'm eating another chocolate I'm starting to feel a bit of condemnation because I'm on a diet. That's how it works when it comes to the temptations that Satan throws at us. Little by little, until you eat the slab. That's how it works. Romans, so by the way, how many of you would like a Kit Kat? I promise you I'm going to give you smarties. You're welcome. Enjoy them. At your age, they're not going to make you fat because you run too much. Okay, ask Granny to help you. Good. Let's move on. Now, now this last verse here, listen to this. I'm almost done. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the, uh, the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. And then he gives you a couple of things there. What happens at night? Traditionally, there's more sin at night. Later in the daytime. Because it's light and we're focused. At night is when most sun comes out. So God says, you know what? The struggle with all of this stuff is almost over. Keep on going. Keep on going. Don't give up. Don't give up with the struggle. The night is almost over. Now you say, well, 2,000 years ago, people thought that as well. Well, let me tell you, life is going so quickly that the struggle is almost over with the sins of this world. So keep on going, keep on pressing on. And then it goes in verse 14, and it gives me one of the biggest clues that I need when it comes to dealing with t- temptation, and then I'm summarizing. Rather, clothe yourself. It ended by saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and so on. And then it says, rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not even think about gratifying the desires of this flesh, here, my, my, my friend, sin is like a fungus. It's like a fungus. You know, little, little spot, you don't deal with it, it starts growing. You don't deal with it, suddenly your whole bathroom wall is, and your, or your swimming pool is full of fungus. And then it's a major thing. Then you've got to get help in to fix it. That's what sin is. So the, the verses I've given you, and I conclude with that, and I want to hammer this last one a little bit, is this, is resist The devil. But it starts by saying, "Submit yourself to God, resist the devil." Then, then it says, "Put aside." Other verses I've, I've read, and then another one says, "Clothe." Now, submit to God is probably maybe the easiest part, in a sense. As I say, Lord Jesus, here's a temptation. I now submit myself to you. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours. The next step is then I go and I say, Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have no right on me, no claim on me. My life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the glory of God. This life will honor him. But you see, when it comes to the TV programs, is, is we, we don't like resisting. We think that I'm just going to forget some of the evil scenes I've just seen. And then instead of just resisting by pushing that little button that says off, we go, you know what? Mm, Nobody really around me, so it's okay, so keep on watching. But resist, resist is a very strong word. It is a phenomenally strong word, all right? Now, here's, here's a form of resistance. When Carol and I were just married, um, we were on a honeymoon, and our father-in-law, her father, my father-in-law gave us like a dormobile, a very old vehicle is like a Bedford, it was a 1960 model, it was 90 on the, on, the, on the downhill and 60 on the uphill kind of thing, or on the flats, 1960 model, it wasn't going anywhere, but we had a great time with it, we arrived in Margate those days, in, in 1985, Margate was very underdeveloped, and, uh, and so we parked in a camping site there, and uh, here's the dormobile, and, and now we, we don't want to lose our camping spot, it's such a lack of spot, you know, so we, and so we hitchhike into Margate about 10 or 15 kilometers. And yeah, I saw my wife's evangelistic nature. When we got into the scar, she just immediately started to speak to the guy about the Lord. And I said, give it to him, baby. You know, <laughs> sock at him. So we go in and we see, we want to watch a movie. You know? now, I'm not a movie person. I, if you show me no movie, I'm fine. You know, I don't, I'm not a movie person. And I, I'm on honeymoon, so I've got to please the wife in at least the first week, you know. And so so we we, we get, there's a movie called The Night in Heaven. Now that sounds like a honeymoon kind of But those days, 1985, we didn't have the rubbish to the extent we have it now. And and it's it's no age restriction. So I said, okay, that's sort of cool for a a young pastor. So we go in there, and in the first five minutes, the guy was a strip dancer, and and a whole lot of women invited him. She was so evil, it's still in my mind, you know? And and he started to take his clothes off, and he eventually had a g-string. and before he got to the g string I stood up, grabbed my wife's hand, and, and I said, this! Should not be shown with no age restriction, you know. And uh, the people look around, and I walk out with my wife and I resist the devil. That's how you resist the devil: loud and firm. And then I go to the guy who sells the ticket, and I said, "I want my money back." I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> uh, it was probably only about seventy-five cents in those days, but still, it was a lot of money, and I'm still waiting. But you see, resistance firmness—it's almost aggression because if you don't. You get sucked in. So if you go say, oh, Satan, don't mess with my mind. Don't mess with my mind. Oh, my dear friend, slippery is down. So You've got to resist. And then he says, put aside. Now, put aside is, is something like this. If, if you wear a jacket and you're so concerned about your jacket and, you, and you, put, you, you gently take it off and hang it over your chair, that's not putting aside. The Greek word here again is to throw it off. To cast it off. So you rip that jacket off and you throw it away. You cast it off. That's what, and then he says, put on. What? So you cast the jacket off, now you, and here, my friend, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the last bit, we fail at most, and that's when we're back into temptation. We don't clothe ourselves with Jesus. That's where most of us just continue to get back into sin, because you can do the first one, two, three, but if you don't do number four, clothing yourself with Jesus, the temptation is massive. And difficult to handle. And clothing yourself with Jesus is a there's a lot to it. And and we can talk another sermon about it. But it most believers, my friend, it's a fact. Don't spend time in this book. The first time you read it or hear it, and the last time you hear it's here on a Sunday morning. For most believers. Don't look so religious at me. It's true. You're not gonna do a test, but it's true. The, the second lot is we don't pray unless we're in trouble. So we're not clothing ourselves with Jesus. We don't worship, we don't don't listen to his word, we don't don't allow Jesus. Can you imagine if you did what my my mother told me when I was a teenager? say, Rulof, when you do this stuff, do you know that Jesus is right there with you while you do it? How was it the worst thing to tell a teenager? Because it stopped me from sinning. And and my mom used to say, you know what, Jesus is right there with you, Rulof. And i go, ah. She taught me from that age how to practice the presence of God in my life, if I can put it like that, by just saying, you know what? Jesus is here. He's sitting watching TV with me. He's watching what is on my cell phone. Resist means delete. Not first watch, delete. You know what? You know what feels so good when you've learned how to resist? You know what feels so bad when you've eaten the chocolate and you know you failed? It feels so good to know, I've done it. With Jesus, I'm clothing, daily I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, Lord, make me aware of your presence. Make me aware of your presence. I'm clothing myself with you. Believer, I hope we've learned something or maybe just revised something or maybe just being reminded of something that don't just fall into the test of temptation and mess your Christianity, your testimony, and maybe even your passion for Jesus by falling. Amen. Have an awesome week. God bless you.